Thank you, John. Well, please do keep that uh, Bible passage uh, open, or if you haven't got your Bibles open, I think you'll find it a real help just to turn up page uh, 1,228, uh, almost at the end of our Bibles, and also to turn to your uh, service sheet in the back uh, sheet, because there are some um, uh, notes there as well. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you that we can gather together to worship and to learn afresh uh, what our faith is all about. So please would you teach us from your word and by your Holy Spirit apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I um, can't quite believe it's Advent Sunday. How do those past 12 months go so quickly? Every Christmas before we blink. Did you know there are some specific Advent jokes? For example, how do you drain pasta in December? Answer, with an Advent colander. (laughs) Now, if you're new to church things, um, you might well be thinking, it's still groaning, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, But if you're new to church things, you might still be groaning. Hang on, I thought Advent starts on December the 1st. That's when I get to open the first window in my Advent calendar. But in the cycle of the church year, the season of Advent actually begins today on the first of four Sundays before Christmas. And what is Advent all about? Well, the term Advent stems from the Latin word avenir, which means to come. Advent is a time when we look back to Jesus' first coming 2,000 years ago, And we look forward to his promised second coming when he will come back to wrap up this world and usher in a new creation. In the words of the Apostle John in verse 20, have a look at that, we know that the Son of God has come. John, remember, was at Jesus' side for three years. He was able to study Jesus day and night. And his conclusion that Jesus was no ordinary man, but rather the one and only Son of God. We know, because Jesus tells us in his Gospels, that one day he will return, which is why Advent is seen not just as a period of preparation for Christmas, but an opportunity to reflect on the truth that the day is coming when we shall meet Jesus face to face. And our Bible reading this morning, the final section of 1 John, gives us three great questions to ponder during Advent. So let's look at the first question. Do you know that you have eternal life? Do you know that you have eternal life? If you have a look at verse 13 of 1 John 5, John writes this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you will have eternal life. Is that what the verse says? I've added a word in that verse. What did I add? Yeah, the will word is not there. Let me read it to you again. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, John wants his readers to be in no doubt when asked the question, Do you know that you have eternal life? He wants them to be able to answer confidently and clearly, not, well, I hope I will have eternal life one day, but yes, I know that I have eternal life here and now. 
So if someone gently asked you after the service this morning, do you know that you have eternal life? How would you answer? Would you say yes or maybe? Or do you know, I'm just not sure. John shows us how we can answer yes. In fact, John says his whole letter has been written with this one goal in mind of helping followers of Jesus to be sure that they do indeed know that they have eternal life. And why was John so keen to get this clear? Well, because it seems that these churches to whom he writes have been exposed to the idea that somehow what John had taught them was deficient. There was more understanding and knowledge to be found than what the apostles had taught them. But if they did indeed already have eternal life, then there was clearly nothing deficient, nothing missing in their Christian experience. Now, what was needed to enjoy this eternal life? Well, have a look again at verse 13. All that is needed, he says, is that we believe in the name of the Son of God. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. If we, in our heart and mind, acknowledge Jesus as the one through whom all life comes, if we ask him to come into our lives on that basis, if we believe that this is truly who Jesus is, and we will follow where he leads, then eternal life will be ours, is ours. So if you've not yet done that, acknowledged to Jesus in a prayer, that is who you are. You are the Son of God. Well, why not do that today? There couldn't be any greater gift than this, surely, than eternal life. And Jesus offers it to you. And if eternal life is something that we can enjoy here and now, if it's not something that isn't just about living forever after we die, then what exactly is eternal life that John talks about here? Well, Jesus puts it this way in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is, eternal life involves being in relationship with the one true God through his Son, Jesus Christ. John makes the same point down in verse 20. We are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So when we plug into Jesus, we plug in to the eternal life that flows from God the Father through God the Son by the Holy Spirit into our lives. Or to put it another way, we are drawn up into the eternal life of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're drawn into that life. It's a life with God that starts now and which death cannot destroy, which is why it is eternal life. When we say to Jesus, I really do believe that you are the Son of God, we can say, says John, that I have this eternal life. I guess it's a bit like someone asking us if we are married. People usually give a pretty clear answer to that question. We don't normally say, I'm not sure. Let me, I've, I've always wondered about that question. I'll go away and check and come back to you. If you are married, you can point to a ceremony, just like you might point to a ceremony of, of baptism or confirmation. And uh, 
We can perhaps search around the house and find our marriage certificate. Just like my point to the, the written word of God and his promises to us. But above all, we can point to that living relationship we are in and how it shapes the life that we lead. That we lead. So do you know that you have eternal life? That's the first question to take into Advent. Can there be a more important question? Hopefully, having looked at what John teaches here, you are now in a position to answer that question for yourself. And if you're still unsure, well, please do come and talk with Martin or myself after the service. We'd love to help you find that assurance, because that's what John is talking about here, the assurance of salvation. And flowing out of all of this, John says there are lots of other things of which we can be sure, which we can know. We can know, for example, he says, that as well as having eternal life, we are also children of God, that God takes us into his home, makes us part of his family, adopts us so that we can be in no doubt about his love for us. And we can know that God hears us when we pray, which brings us to our second question this morning. Do you pray with confidence? Do you pray with confidence? Verse 14 of 1 John 5, John says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So John says that when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we can come before God our Father with a confidence that our prayers will be heard And answered. So when you pray, do you pray with that same confidence? Many Christians, including myself, um, have found that what John says here is both wonderfully encouraging but also deeply challenging. Can I really pray for anything and everything? What about that time when I prayed and prayed and nothing seemed to happen? When the loved one I prayed for to be healed only grew weaker and weaker until they finally died? What about that job I I so wanted but never materialized? We need to look carefully here at what John actually promises us. Have a look again at verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So the key to unlocking John's confidence in prayer lies in praying in line with God's will. If we want to get green lights rather than red or amber lights in our prayers, we must grow in our understanding of what God's will is for our lives. John Stock puts it this way in his commentary. Prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will upon God or for bending his will to ours, but the prescribed way of subordinating our will to his. It is by prayer that we seek God's will, embrace it, and align ourselves with it. So prayer is less about bringing our shopping list to God and more about bringing ourselves to sit at his feet and taking the time to align what we want with what God wants. 
And as we do that, the way that we pray changes. Our prayers become less focused on clinging on to all the material things of this life and more on embracing eternal life. They become less concerned with perhaps changing the circumstances we find ourselves and others find find themselves in and more concerned with developing a Christ-like character in ourselves and others. When we pray like that, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him, says John. So I think um, that even as adults, we can get the one true God confused with that other figure who appears at Advent, Father Christmas. Perhaps as a child, I can remember being taken to a, to a big department store and taken to visit Santa's grotto and waiting patiently in what seemed like an age and eventually being welcomed inside Santa's grotto and sitting on Father Christmas's lap and being asked, what do you want for Christmas? And out will come that list of our top wants, with often with no real idea of how much they would cost our parents who were listening in, uh, avidly listening in behind us. The focus uh, of our thoughts on such occasion was on our own desires and longings, the longings of our own hearts. And John says that's not how praying to God works. Prayer like that, or pray like that, and you'll find that there's just a red light all the way, and, and, and your, your prayers won't be answered. But as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So what sort of prayers should we pray about then? Yes, I mean, the Lord's Prayer goes on to pray about your daily bread. It's not wrong to pray uh, for work and for, for money, pressures, and all those things. But it's also about how they shape us and what is God's will in them. Well, we've been thinking this term about our church core values. And uh, when we pray for the three things we've been thinking about, that as a church we'll be nurturing biblical faith and offering gospel hope and showing Christ-like love, Well, these are prayers that we can be confident that God will answer as we align ourselves with the will of God as that's been revealed in the letter of 1 John. And John also highlights for us one particular group of people that we should pray for. We find them in verse 16. Look at it with me. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, You should pray, and God will give them life. Pray, says John, for Christians that you know have fallen into sin, who are drifting away from God. Perhaps one or two names come to mind. A friend, a member of our own family, a child, a grandchild. Pray for them, says John. Pray that God will renew in them his life, his eternal life. God is confident, John is confident that God will answer such a prayer. Because he says when, when a Christian slips into sin, it does not mean that they are now completely spiritually dead. There is still the spark of eternal life in them. And our prayers will help to turn that spark once again into a flame. Those are the people, says John, we should pray for. Rather than those, he says, who we know who have perhaps openly and publicly rejected and hardened their hearts towards Jesus and rejected the eternal 
life that's to be found in him. That seems to be what John is saying when he says, when he mentions this idea of a sin that leads to death, in that it's the sin that leads to the rejection of Jesus, the source of life and the source of forgiveness. So from what John says here, and there's so much to explore in your small group if you're in one, can you now pray with more confidence? Try it out this Advent. Try praying the way that John encourages us to pray. Pray for those that you know who have drifted away from God this year. For the opportunity to invite them perhaps to a carol service here. So that was our second question. The first question was, do you know that you have eternal life? The second question, do you pray with confidence? And John says, if you pray in aligning yourself with God's will, you can pray with confidence. And our third and final question to ponder this Advent is this. Are you keeping yourselves from idols? Verse 21, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And what a striking way to end a letter. There are no love and kisses, John. Uh, No mention of uh, local church leaders. Say hi to, to Jennifer or whoever. John gets straight to the point. John wants these Christians, he wants us to be vigilant, to remain on high alert so that our minds and especially our hearts don't attach themselves to false understandings of the one true God. And by idol, John could have meant, well, any of the Greek gods and goddesses worshipped in the surrounding majority culture. The pressure to go with the flow and believe what everyone else believed was well, that pressure was just as strong then as it is now. Hey, we're, going, we're all going to the temple tonight for a feast. Won't you join us? Everyone will be, anyone will be there. You're not coming? Oh, that is to cut yourself off. Well, maybe that's the sort of idolatry that John has in mind here. It can happen too. We make a good thing into a God thing, like family or career or academic success or sport which ends up taking God's place in our hearts and in the way that we use our time and our money. Those are ways in which we can fall into idolatry. But that's not what John's letter has been about. And I think he's just reminding them about things he's already taught them as he finishes. And in his sights has been those who have been undermining the faith of individual Christians, by teaching a different Jesus to the one he and the other apostles taught. This different Jesus wasn't the eternal Son of God, but something far less. And you see, that too is a kind of idolatry. We create an idol when we make up our own version of Jesus. When we say, well, I know the Bible says that about Jesus, but I like to think of Jesus like this. Or my Jesus wouldn't say this or that. It's a sort of idolatry that Moses' brother Aaron got caught up in when he fashioned a golden calf and told the Israelites this was the God who had brought them out of Egypt. It's when we still try and worship the one true God, but in our own way and on our own terms. And John's parting shot to these churches is, don't do it. Don't worship a false Jesus of your own imagining. Make sure you stick with the real Jesus, the eternal Son of God, that Jesus, that the apostles like John 
heard and saw firsthand for themselves. And of course, that's how we all would want to be treated, isn't it? Just imagine something someone coming up to you in Chesham High Street and saying, well, that Edward Bowes Smith, he's six foot four, blonde, and Scandinavian. Only in his dreams, you might think. But you would also say, well, of course, that's not right. I've seen him with my own eyes and heard him with my own ears. And none of those things are true about him. And that's exactly the role that John is fulfilling here when it comes to Jesus' true identity. Which is why John's question, are you keeping yourself from idols, is true and relevant for us today. For the pressure today is to make Jesus less than he is, less than the eternal Son of God who reigns now in heaven, master of time and eternity. People say to us, don't they, well, Jesus doesn't really understand 21st century life. He's trapped in his first century understandings of the world. He made a good start, but we now need to fill in the gaps, update his teachings. And the danger is we'll end up with an idol of Jesus, not the real thing. So this Advent, it's worth taking the time to ponder whether the picture we have of Jesus is the real deal or an idol of our own invention to pick up our Bibles and, having read John's uh, letter, to go back and read his gospel. There are 21 chapters in John's gospel, one for almost every day of Advent, with a few days to spare. Why not set yourself the target of reading a chapter of John's gospel every day this Advent? Three questions, then, to ponder this Advent here at St. Mary's from the Apostle John. Do you know that you have eternal life? John says you can know. Do you pray with confidence? John says we can. Are you keeping yourselves from idols? Well, pick up John's gospel and reintroduce yourself to the real Jesus this Advent. Let's pray together. Let's perhaps take a moment just to to go through those questions. What is the Holy Spirit saying to your heart? What's your answer? And what could be your answer? Loving Heavenly Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, please would you take your word and apply it deeply to our hearts so that we might indeed have eternal life have that relationship with you now that death cannot destroy. What a wonderful privilege. And Lord, may it be something we treasure and share with others. In Jesus' name, amen.